0: Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author, Becca Eisenberg, brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 38. Today, I'll be interviewing Antonia Yall, best known as Tanina. Tanina has been a practicing occupational therapist for over 21 years, specializing in pediatrics. Tanina holds a master's degree in occupational therapy from Nova Southeastern University and a bachelor's degree in biology from Rollins College. In her career's journey, she has founded and directed a multidisciplinary pediatric rehab clinic and a private school for students with special needs in Orlando, Florida. She has been a part of a rehab medicine department's management team at a top rated hospital in Manhattan. Tanina continues to treat children and work with families while also building educational programming for parents and professionals. She loves discovering, sharing, and collaborating with her community to maximize growth, learning, and creativity in children of all ages and skill levels. She recently founded Empower Me, LLC, and the website is HTTPS, um, EmpowerMeToys.com, in her efforts to share her experience with the use of toys, games, gadgets, literature, and sensory accessories to build children's social skills, physical performance, ability to respond adaptively to their environment, and foster their continued journey as lifelong learners. She offers consultation workshops and telehealth services. And I'm also going to be having her email. I'm going to write it in the description. So if you want to email her, I'm really excited to have Tanina today because I we had um, found each other. We both collaborate and we both write for... Um, the same magazine, uh, Blue Umbrella. And I went to Tanina's website and I was so impressed and I felt like we had so much in common. And I think that she has so much to offer parents because I think um, you know, parents have a hard time sometimes choosing toys, especially if their children has delays um, and they have any sort of sensory issues. So thank you so much for being here, Tanina. Thank you for
1: that lovely introduction, Becca. I'm very happy to be here with you today.
0: Thank you. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, just about the process of developing your website. You know how you thought of it and and how you began it.
1: Well, I it's definitely a labor of of love for me. Um, and I and when I think of it, it's it's something that I'm continuing to grow and strive to build as as a robust resource. So when The main goal was to create a place where parents and professionals working with children um, could go um, to find toys and games and and things that I call sensory accessories that really help support um, their child's development or their students academic performance and have it all located in one place. And it's something that is still growing and I love taking um, emails and and ideas and for people to have me review certain things. Um, I love working with my panel of experts to really hone in on on what we're um, using on a day-to-day basis and, and have those highlighted for parents because one of the things over the years doing this, what parents and and teachers and other professionals that I work with directly or at a workshop or at any kind of seminar, they never get tired of the resource lists that I would provide. Um, It could be something as simple as, you know, here's my my holiday wish list um, ideas to share with families or the actual tools to use at the end of a workshop, here's what we can actually use. Now you have all this information. What can you use um, in, you know, during play, during your lesson plans um, to make everything come together in a fun way that really fosters everybody's development? And so that's the, that's the reason why we created the website in the first place
0: so what's the what's the story behind the name of the website?
1: Well, I think that um, as as therapists um, the value of building self advocacy, the value of creating independence um, the value of seeing that child for the first time go, I did it. And that look on their face, that feeling of power, um, to be able to do something for the first time or to do something on their own, um, has never been lost on me. And, and every day, thank God I get to experience this with my children that I treat with my, with my families. Um, I call them my, my children (laughs) and they're my families. And I just see that every day. And that, that power is important. And, um, one of the things when I was in Orlando with the school with uh, with the pre K, I called it Power Me Kids, and everyone just loved that name and gravitated toward that and and in many different ways, parents and teachers have said to me in one way or the other that they felt empowered by the resource, by the information, by the support that they got from from either myself or my team, and that was. That was powerful. And so, hence, I just decided I would call it Empower Me because this is all about empowering children, parents, professionals um, to make some decisions about what tools they're going to use, what play activities they're going to use
0: to help foster a child's development. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. I love that because I, you know, a lot of times because looking at your website and I just wanted to know that story behind it. And I think it also helps people just remember, um, to be able to, you know, go to your website and tell it, cause I think it's not even just for parents, but I also think what you were saying, you know, for professionals, um, and also I would think graduate students as well, because I think a lot of times, you know, just a speech pathologist, you know, I have graduate students that are always trying to figure out, you know, what materials to use and how to use it and what goals, um, and exactly. I think that your, you know, your website is so great because a lot of times, you know, any of us could go to a toy store and we could pick out a toy, but it's knowing how to implement it and how to, you know, work in that child's goals with that toy. Exactly. That is not always intuitive. So I think, you know, cause I think as, let's say as therapists, we, we all look at toys in a different way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a speech pathologist, you know, cause I'm always, I'm collaborating with occupational therapists a lot and physical therapists and you know we're all working together in collaboration and I think a lot of times you know working with a toy we're not just working on let's say for me I'm not just working on like my speech and communication goals Mm -hmm. I'm also considering fine motor, or maybe their occupational therapy goals. So, you know, that's, that's a huge part of it, especially with what I do with like augmented communication. You know, I'm always considering, well, we need to have, you know, we need to talk to the OT and just collaborate together. Um, So just one of the questions I had for you about your toys, because I was curious about what your review process is, you know, how you choose your toys and, and just what that process is like. So
1: when we're looking at, at the toys, we're looking at toys that we play with, that we use directly as tools every day. Um, these, are not, these are not toys that we play with one time. You know, so number one, we have a lot of fun playing with these toys and using them every day on a high frequency um, level, and so they're toys that we we buy, we use. Um, so we have a lot of experience with them, and they they aren't toys that are that are given to us to to do. Hey, can you do this review on this on this toy? That's not how the process works. We use the toys over time. Um, we use them as part of our um, home programs. And we come together to say, okay. and and the the first toys we started on this site were the toys that we use most frequently um, and have been using over the years, because what we're looking at is, um, did that toy meet our expectations when we opened that box and we started using it? Did it meet our expectations? Did it meet the hype of the marketing? Um, We look at the versatility, because like you were saying, as therapists, we use a lot of toys and games to facilitate a child's goals. Um, But we also don't have a vast amount of real estate to store anything. We certainly don't have any room for a dust collector, as I call it, or the, you know, the toy graveyard. We don't have room for that. So how versatile is the toy how many different ways can therapists use a toy whether you're a pt an ot or a speech language therapist the versatility also is important for parents because if you have mixed age siblings in the house if you have kids with varying needs whether they're typically developing or they they need some supports but in families, when you're when you're wanting to support play, um, you don't live in a bubble. So you want toys that are versatile and can be fun for everyone, while also potentially working on a child's particular skills that we're working on. And um, for teachers, the same. They have a classroom full of of different children and with with different skills, different needs, different curiosities. And so it's really important that the versatility is there. Durability is another thing that we look at. We want the toys that we're recommending or we want the toys that we feature to to be durable, to sustain um, the sanitation (laughs) and all the cleaning that we have to do, basically. But we want them to be durable, whether they're in a class setting, a therapeutic setting or at home. We want them to last. I can't tell you how many times I've bought a toy and, you know spent a good amount of money on it, and it was broken within three uses. And that was just very disappointing. Or I really love the toy, but it didn't, you know, hold muster with the type of cleaning you have to do, let's say, if you were working with children in a hospital or a clinical setting or even a school setting. Um, So durability is important. And we look at toys for their engagement, how engaged does a child stay? Will they ask for it again? Um, That's really important because it needs to be fun. We want the children to have fun while they're doing things um, that just happen to build their skills because we're presenting it that way. But at home, you want toys there that are accessible and engaging and they'll play with them again and not go into the toy graveyard Uh, too quickly um, because we want the most bang for our buck essentially. Um, Folded into that, our review includes how does this toy impact physical development, whether it be fine motor or gross motor? How challenging is it for a particular physical skill? Um, How challenging is it for communication and socialization and or, you know, how much does it impact communication and socialization? So folded into that, we always look at that process. Um, At the end of the, the review, I'll always put in how to how to augment this toy or game because so we could use it as it was intended for. But there's also so many different ways of using it, whether I increase the activity level by just changing the positioning um, of the of the game or use it in in different ways with different tools or I add things to it. I'll give I'll give um, a list of how to augment the toys or game because then it lasts longer and it becomes more versatile. So the bigger the list the more versatile it becomes and you can use it for varying age groups. It doesn't just have to be for the age group indicated. So that's it in a nutshell and, and talking to each other and saying, this is our experience with a toy. This is how we're using it. This is how we've changed it. This is when we, when we uh, recommend it for a home program,
0: Right, right, right. I think it's just like a lot of like thinking outside the box. You know, that's the thing. Cause I think that's I think that's why your website is so helpful. Because I think a lot of parents, you know, we buy a toy and then, you know, you look at the directions, you're like, okay, I'm supposed to play it like this. And then I think sometimes you feel confined by how you're supposed to be playing it. Exactly. When it's not really like that, you could kind of play it however you want. I know how do you feel about this is one of the things that, you know, because I've done home care. um, and also just the experience of my own kids is that, you know, a lot of times what happens is that we just keep the same toys out all the time. And a lot of times kids get bored with it. So what I, you know, what I used to do and what I always suggested to parents is to kind of switch out toys so that you could, especially for young kids that they don't, you know, at least the toys that are accessible to them all the time. So, because I think over time they could kind of, you know, what do you, how do you feel about that? Oh, I definitely, I
1: agree with you 100%. I definitely, um, I'm an advocate for rotating the toys, um, having out an accessible, um, you know, toys that they can pick and choose from just enough and then putting the rest in bins and then rotating those bins out, um, for, for the freshness of them. And then if I see that a toy isn't getting a lot of repeat play, but I know that it's something I want to go back to, um, I'll put it away for a little while and then I'll reintroduce it maybe in a different way, um, to kind of ignite that, that curiosity again and some creativity, um, and creating our own games with something that we thought, um, we weren't going to be curious about anymore um we kind of reignited that way by rotating them in and out
0: yeah i I also just like want to bring up the point that it's just so important to play to play with actual toys because i think you know with with all the screens and the electronics um and you know there's tons of stuff out there on you know the ipad and there's educational stuff but nothing replaces um play you know actually playing with toys so I, I think that's another great thing about your website is that parents could go and they could, you know, really get some good ideas on how to engage their child in play, because Absolutely. I think you know just working with young kids because you know I I, you know I've done EI for many years, um, early intervention I've done you know work with a lot of preschoolers, and you know it's one of the biggest the biggest challenges is getting a child to engage in that symbolic play, mm-hmm. um, and so. Sometimes I think, you know, people may get stuck in like a certain way to play with a toy, but what I like about your website, it just kind of gives you some fresh ideas. And the other thing too, is I think, you know, sometimes like another sort of myth is that a toy needs to be, you know, have tons and tons of like kind of bells and whistles to be fun. And sometimes the most simple toys are the best toys. You know, I remember, you know, with my, with my own kids, you know, you'd buy, I'd buy them like all these toys, but then they only wanted to play with the box that the toy exactly. came in, you know? So it's, I, I think sometimes just keeping it simple is kind of nice. Cause you know, even for me, when I open a toy or a game and it's like, it, it's literally like an entire book of how to play the game. I'm like, forget about it. Like <laughs> This is like, you know, this is like way too much for me. Um, So I, you know, because I've created some games um, from Super Duper, and one of the things that was important to me was just that you open the box and you could just play it right then. Because, you know, as as therapists, a lot of times we're, we're back to back to back, and we don't really have time to sit down with these with these games that are very you know, have all these rules and have all these kind of different directions and it, it takes a half an hour to learn how to play the game. Um, I like the, the kind of games that you just open up and you just play. And the other thing too, sometimes, you know, with kids is that I just forget about the directions and we just kind of play it in the way that maybe the child wants to play it. or we going to create exactly. our own way of playing with the toy? Um, so the next, the next question I have, cause this is one of the things that a lot of the questions that I get, from parents, because I work with a lot of kids with different sensory integration disorders. Um, you know, what advice would you give to to parents of children with you know different like sensory integration disorders for choosing a toy? So, in the
1: website, um, we try to provide suggestions for each system or for various combinations. Um, of systems that might be affected when somebody is when somebody has sensory processing disorder because no kids look the same we have some you know we have some characteristics that we can um, pick and choose and say okay this is this you could see this you could see that but no two kids are the same and when i'm choosing a toy, when I'm choosing a game, when I'm choosing an environment to play with that toy or game, the most important thing to do is really pay attention to your child. What helps them focus? What helps them calm? What helps them stay engaged? What do they really like? Always start with that because then when they're calm, when they're engaged, when they're focused, they that opens up their ability To play with another person, to play with a toy in a different way, to play with that toy or game a little longer, to listen to any instructions that we do need to understand when you're game playing with other people, because games have rules, you know, and and whether how sophisticated the rules are, that's up to us. But knowing what makes your child happy, what makes them engaged, calm and focused is very important. Okay, so... And the, the, the kids are so different. So one of the things that I wrote is um, I gave examples of if your child happens to be a tactile avoider, you know, the touch system seems to be over defensive. Um, on the site, I give ideas. Here's what you can do. So, for example, if I know a child. If, if the whole class is finger painting, but I know a child does not tolerate touching that finger paint, I'm not going to push that. I might have that finger paint available to them, but I'm going to bring out something that isn't messy, that isn't going to get on their fingers, like these doodle toys where, you know, the, you know those games where they have the the like it's a gel like a gel inside a plastic but you can still draw on it you can still create shapes and forms but there's nothing getting on your finger okay that will help them learn the skill you want them to learn by finger painting but in a way that doesn't Overstimulate them or, or, or gross them out. So they can still learn, they can still make, they can still make those shapes that everybody else is making with their finger and the finger paint, but they can do it on this doodle board, so to speak. Um, and then having the paint there available, if they happen to want to touch it on their own, then they'll touch it and they'll interact with it. Um, so it opens up that opportunity. Um, when a child really shows an aversive response, meaning I don't like it, I'm scared of it. Never underestimate that feeling in them. So we may not have an aversion to it. We may not be scared of it. It may not gross us out, but for them, that's how they're they're feeling it. And it's important not to force engagement in that way, um, but to kind of alter the environment or alter the activity. So if you're finger painting to make shapes and coloring, then why not give them the doodle board that they don't have to ma- ma- get be messy on their fingers, but they can still color, do the shapes, make the forms, copy what you're doing. Do you see what I mean? Right, Does that no, make sense? I know
0: exactly. Because what happens if like we kind of, if you force a child to do something that they're not comfortable with then they're going they're not going to want to try it another time they're going to be scared of it so i agree with you because there's also it also encourages choice making and then you know a lot of times when i'm working with a child and they don't want something that's a good time to model language saying i don't like it or mm-hmm. so using some descriptive words like like yucky or like you know um like bad or whatever it is so that they could start communicating that you know that instead of just let's say that they're going to have like their nonverbal behavior that they don't like it, but also encouraging words as well. So I feel like it's another good opportunity um, to kind of just model some language. So just while we're on that, as far as like somebody who gets overstimulated, because that's mostly a lot of times, like those are the kids that I'm working with. I think a lot of times um, what happens, I I feel like parents sometimes view a child liking a toy when they're just sort of being overstimulated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you were talking about is being calm and focused when you're playing. Um, and I think that's kind of hard sometimes for parents to determine well, is my child being overstimulated with the toy, or is it that you just really like it and that's why they're they keep playing with it? So maybe could you just talk a couple minutes about, you know, just what overstimulation is and what a parent could do if they feel like they're, you know, a child really likes a toy, but it's it's overstimulating for them.
1: All right. So when usually when now I want to round back just a little bit, because when you're playing, you're supposed to be having fun and smiling and there's a level of excitement that you want to see. But if you get overly excited and then you can't follow the rules, you can't sit still, you don't know where your body is, um, then that's where where the issue comes to play. And that's why when we're playing with something that could overexcite us, being in that calm setting or having things around us that normally calm and refocus us is very important when a child has sensory integrative dysfunction um, during play. So there's this, there's this concept of overstimulation and there's this concept of seeking. Okay. So when I'm using the term overstimulating is I'm, I'm really looking at children who might be misinterpreting information and being defensive to it so that they can't interact with it appropriately. Okay, so I'm looking at overstimulation from that point. When I see seeking behavior, I'm looking at that child who's continuously Trying to engage with it, trying to to look at it more, turning the volume up, flicking it in front of their eyes, um, and seeking a certain input. Okay, but they're not necessarily playing with that toy outside of getting that that stimulation into their their eyes, their hands, or or their body. Okay, and so that's how that's how I'm I'm looking at it. So if a child gets overstimulated, you know, they can literally, you know, and they're having a, a defensive reaction or it's just too much information being overwhelmed. So I compare overstimulating to becoming overwhelmed. You can't really function well when you're overwhelmed um, versus the child who I'm seeking this information I'm not processing it. So I seek it so much that it could be harmful to myself, harmful to others, or just so distracting that you can't move on to the next thing. So I just want to make sure that, you know, so as we continue that conversation on overstimulating versus overseeking, that that's where I'm coming from.
0: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. So, uh, you know, a toy in and of itself isn't
1: overstimulating unless the volume is over 80 decibels. If you have strobing, high vibration, you know, that's going to be overstimulating to anybody. Okay. So what makes a toy or game overstimulating is what are the systems your child or your young adult is misinterpreting? What makes that aversive to them, offensive to them? What what about it is putting them into the defensive mode, as opposed to that open? I'm ready to play. I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to touch it, look at it. I'm ready to listen to the rules of the game. Um, so it's really all about the 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 sensory systems that are being affected by that child. So, because what could be calming to one child could be completely overstimulating to another child. What could lessen seeking so that you have just, you know, more calm, playful behaviors in one child could completely, again, overwhelm or overstimulate another child. So that's the thing. If, if your child has sensory processing disorder, it's always good to to consult or communicate with their therapist or or someone who can help um, tease out what to avoid what to introduce slowly um and when is doing something um repetitively okay and when do you want to back away from it um so it, a general um general advice is tough with someone who has sensory processing disorder because you really have to understand which systems are involved. And so in the website, I, I divide things under the, I, I call it discoveries. All the toys and game reviews are under discoveries. And so are recommendations for sensory processing. So I divide up the different sensory arenas and, um, that could be impacted. And so I, I talk about if your child is a sensory seeker versus a sensory avoider, um, these would be good games to consider. If they're a movement seeker versus a movement avoider, these are other activities, exercises, games and toys that that you could infuse throughout the day to help them not seek so much that it's dangerous for them and not avoid so that they're not developing um, their physical skills. So it's that striking, that balance. Does that make
0: sense? No, it, de- it definitely does. It definitely okay. does. So I think I think this has been really, really helpful. And I think um, people come, they listen to you, definitely go into your website. It's going to you know give them like a really wonderful resource of information. Um, so you. and the other thing, too, that I found, too, is that, you know, just, just from my experience is that you know it could also vary from day to day cuz depending mm-hmm. on like how that child's mood is so maybe one day a toy could be you know very calming but maybe the next day if there's like a lot of noise in in the classroom or something else is bothering them they may not be able to focus in that same way they were the day before so mm-hmm. i think um That's one of the things that I found as well is that, you know, so much of the kids are so affected by just the environment that they're in. Absolutely. Because, you know, I work in a lot of classrooms and so some kids get really, you know, get really upset by, you know, certain noises or if there's like a, you know, another child in there that's making a certain noise or whatever it is, um, you know, it just, it could vary day to day. But is there anything else that you want to talk about before we finish up? Because I think it's been really just like a wealth of knowledge today with your information
1: well um I think that we wrapped it up in in a nutshell so to speak um the the thing that that I also wanted to target with the the website is that that concept of simplifying shopping um could because I have um, worked with parents that literally became overwhelmed, you know, when Toys R Us was was still in existence. Of leaving Toys R Us instead of leaving excited, leaving in tears because they didn't know what to pick, what to choose. There are so many great toys and games and sensory accessories and things to support our child's development out there. Um, and but with all that choice, also can can. Come waste, um, meaning, you know, back to that concept of that toy graveyard. And so Having the site and continuing to build it into a robust resource, just to help people not be overwhelmed, make some make some decisions um, about what they're going to bring into their home, what they're going to use with with their kids, and um, how to how to get the most out of it for all their kids and the entire family, um, is something that I'm really striving to do. So if you do go onto the site, I would love your feedback, any comments, um, emailing me on on different things that you guys use i would i would love that
0: all right great great well
1: thank you so much for today my pleasure um i'd love to be on any (laughs) time in the future discussing different topics um because there's there's so many things to talk about we can talk about um sensory processing more specifically um you know, mealtime approaches, you and I have a lot in common. So I'm sure that um, in the near future, we could we could move on to the next topic of interest oh yeah, we could talk
0: forever. (laughs) We have a lot in common, yeah. So when I I saw your website, I'm like, this girl's for me. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, thank you. Thank you so much for today. And, you know, it's been very, very helpful for, you know, just just for me and for anyone else listening. So thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime.